Welcome to Book Talk. Book Talk is a weekly podcast where we read a section of a book and then we talk about it. And we're in the third section of Clara in the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro. In this section, we a lot happens uh, with Clara and with Rick. Clara goes to the farm and makes a deal with the son. Um, and then Clara, Helen, Rick, and Josie and her mom all go on an adventure to the city so Josie can sit for her portrait. We meet and spend time with her dad. Um, Clara and Paul, her dad, plot to destroy the machine that Clara thinks will help save Josie if it is gone. They go back to the sushi restaurant um, where everyone else meets them, and Helen and Paul get into a little bit of detail about his current life and how it contradicts with the life that Josie and her mom are leading. Fascinating. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Lot to discuss here. Lot to discuss this week. Lot going on. I am so thrilled that I called the AF like, well, okay, we knew that Josie was being like primed. Clara was being primed to take over for Josie. But I think in this instance, we have Mr. What was his name? Like Cialdini? Carpadini? I don't know. Carpadini? Mr. C? Oh, oh. Is his name Henry? Can we just call him Henry? Yeah, we can call him Henry. Okay. We have Henry um, explaining basically like his job is to recreate um to both create the physical representation of Josie but also test Clara on how correct she would be about the ways that Josie would react in different scenarios basically testing her like aptitude to take over Josie's body and consciousness so it seems like that is something that is happening oh that's for sure happening they're like prepping for if Josie doesn't make it or when she doesn't make it which is so interesting and there's got to be something here because Josie's obviously a kid and it's like in normal life, you you would expect your kid to outlive you. So, like, Josie's sick, but I'm wondering why this man has a business doing this. Is this because lifting kids is, like, risky? And so some kids, like, it doesn't go well, and then because they're already lifted, they have to basically make an AF? Because, you know what I mean? Like, wouldn't it make sense? The mom wants this fake Josie for herself, but she's not going to live forever, so they clearly don't expect Josie to live for a long time. I'm just confused still about like what it means to be lifted because like where are they going? Are they going to like another planet or are they being like lifted in the way of like population control? Like they're being told that their kids are going to some other place, but really they're just like culling the population. That's really dark. Yeah, that's that's pretty dark. I <laughs> thought <laughs> I thought that lifted meant like maybe they were like gifted in some way like again I'm back to this theme of the book the uglies or whatever like where it's they're like perfecting them to be more like AFs or be like in some way they're changing their mental state they're not like taking the kid but they're like hopefully making them a better version of people now and giving them a better chance because if you're not lifted you can't go to the colleges you don't get the jobs or whatever but like they're trying to give Josie the best chance at a life so I don't think that they're leaving but I feel like it's some sort of like mental surgery or like brain surgery that's happening that these kids become different when they're lifted but I think it's dangerous which I think is maybe what happened to Sal is like this whatever happens that possibly gives your kid the best chance possible to be the best human possible is also risky and but you take that risk because if not you end up like Rick where you don't have the option and you don't get like you know the privilege that comes with being lifted I'm still trying to figure out if the author is trying to 
create like pretty straight parallels to our current society so that we can take it and relate it to what's happening now. Or this is like a truly dystopian book that maybe has loose ties to things now, but isn't like a direct, you can't relate like, well, you know, directly to things in our current society. Like I'm still trying to figure out exactly what he's doing. Is it the big themes or is it a closer parallel than that? Ooh, that's interesting. I think we are like sort of close in terms of like, you know, um, there's, uh, I think it's GTP2 or GPT, TP or PT. Anyways, I have like, can't remember the right order of letters. But anyways, human speech is like very predictable. Human behavior is pretty predictable. Um, you know, we're not great yet, but computers are better at like perceiving individuals and predicting them compared to humans. So I think what he's saying is like, this is sort of like a near-ish future where we can build a robot that is a pretty good facsimile of a person. But is that a person? I think that's the question that we're being meant to think about. Right. Right. What's the heart? What is a what is the human heart? Which we get to a little bit later. I want to still talk about this Clara being for Josie though. Like I I think it's like so creepy that they're just like photographing this girl to basically make a not a portrait, which they keep telling her. A skin. A a, a skin. Ew. But like a <laughs> a like an AF that is her, that they want her current AF and her best friend to like inhabit and fake for the sake of the mom's happiness and she's like Clara I'll learn to love you I'm like I'm not doubting that you couldn't love whatever this this AF is but to love her as Josie is so creepy and also like I don't think that that's a thing but I don't know it's so weird that man seems so creepy and I feel like Josie's dad is like I can't tell if he's the only one holding on to like sanity or if he has also kind of lost it I think he's also kind of lost it based on his conversation with Helen um you know, where he's like, oh, well, yeah, we're all like formally well-to-do white people who live in like a close society where we have communal living and nobody works, but, and we'll fight anybody who like tries to disturb us. I was like, what? (laughs) I was surprised. I don't know how you felt about this, but I was surprised with how Clara seems like totally down to go along with this plan. What did you think about like her complicity and her conversation with both parents about like the plan moving forward. I think it's interesting because the AFs are so much like humans, but they're like a completely selfless, like they're taught to be a completely selfless version of humans. Like Clara's entire role and the reason that she's created and now that she's found her forever home is literally to be whatever Josie needs, whatever is best for Josie. And so I feel like Claire's not really thinking for herself. She doesn't have free thought or free will the way that like humans do because she is built to be obedient. At the end of the day, all of her decisions are made based around that. And so I feel like I feel like it's sad that she's like, yeah, I'll do this because I think that if she thought about it, she would also think that it's really sad. But I think she's as an extension of her duty to be whatever Josie and her family need and be the best AF possible. Um but I think she's fully on board because that's what's expected of her. This is a question of like ethics. Like, is this the ethical thing to do? I think in terms of like Clara's life, this is definitely the best bet for her potentially to like be taken care of. 
I don't know though. She loses all autonomy in that role. Like I feel like Clara and Rosa did have, like she does have some sense of autonomy where she does like have her own thoughts and feelings and like can process them. And by inhabiting Josie or the shell of Josie, she's like losing all of that. Um, I don't know. Like she could have another happy life by being a, a friend to someone else, but still being herself. So it sounds like a sad life, but also, yes, I mean, she's taken care of until Josie's mom dies and she's inhibited a skin of a human who's no longer alive. Ooh. Also, isn't Josie's mom, Chrissy is what we learn her name is in this section. Like, wouldn't she get tired of this pretend Josie who can't grow or change or never gets old or falls in love or like, you know, becomes a fully formed adult? That's such a good point because she's freezing Josie in time. I didn't even think about that. Right. This AF that she's creating is not going to is not going to grow up. She's going to have to like because I feel like Josie is so close to being on her own also. Like she's we think she's like a freshman in high school ish. And so she's pretty close to like being on her own and going out into the world. And yes, falling in love, maybe having a child of her own, maybe like starting a business, I don't know, doing something. And she's going to live frozen in this thing forever. And Chrissy will never get to, I don't know, be free of that. Not that you'll be free of your kids, but you want to see them succeed and fly, you know, fly the nest, get out of here. And she just won't. She does say that, you know, maybe I'll take up with another man or maybe blah, blah, blah. But like, we'll always have Josie being the same way. And I feel like that's unrealistic for how life is. So will you really be satisfied by that? I don't, I don't know. This is my like answer to Paul's question of like what's a human heart what makes the human like you know him being so upset at Henry's like audacity to basically say like yeah we can download we can recreate what Josie is because I think what humans are at their core is like people who are constantly able to self-reflect and able to grow and able to like make change like yeah, you can pause me right now and you can download all of my memories and everything that's happened and all of my habits, but that's not me. That's me up until today. Like I have the opportunity tomorrow to completely change everything about myself. That's what makes me human is like the ability to grow and change. That's such a good point. Like what makes us human is not what we're, is not who we are today, but like who we have the opportunity to become based on what we experience or learn or what happens to us. And that's so interesting because yeah, they're just pausing her. And I think that is the human heart, which learns, which goes through so many things through grief, through trauma, through happiness, through joy, through learning and seeing. And that's what makes it a human, not a computer, which can't, exactly. I don't know, can't grow in the same way. We solved it. <laughs> That's sweet. I like that. I do think, yeah. I mean, in terms of like what separates us from animals too, which is interesting that Paul, is it Paul? Yeah. Paul's nickname for Josie is animal, um, is that animals have a limited capacity to think about themselves mm -hmm. and they are more bound to like whatever their innate biological needs are. And I think humans, for better or worse, have a lot of cognition about the self and that's part of what yeah. makes us separate. Yeah. And I mean, I think we see that even with Clara, like she doesn't have that same level of cognition about herself. She does have thoughts and feelings, but they are all in relation to the world around her. Um, yeah, she won't grow and self-reflect in the same way humans will. Even if she's Josie, she will always be a 14 year old Josie. 
even if she falls in love with Rick, like that also when Chrissy is like, well, you can just, you know, you'll have Rick. Like, I'm sorry, Rick. No, he is not sleeping with this fake ass AF. <laughs> like, this is not a thing. Ew. I don't like it. I think the bereavement doll is an interesting idea. Like, I feel like this is the Clara becoming Josie. I feel like stemmed from this, from a bereavement doll, which I think on the surface maybe could help you to process something, I guess. I still feel like that doesn't allow you to truly go through the process of grieving and in understanding that if you're, you have this kind of fake doll that's basically holding you stuck in time. I don't know. I feel like it's sad, but it feels to me like they're profiting off of somebody's grief. I think that there is probably no greater pain than losing a child as a parent. So I think any tools to like get through that process are helpful like if it can help you um great but again like you know that it kind of this is a weird parallel but it kind of reminds me of like parents whose children pass and then they try and like connect to them on the other side or they try and like see signs that the person is there it's like it's actually not enough to know to know your child as they were when they passed it's like the tragedy is that I should have seen you grow up like, I should have seen you become a parent and go through this whole, like, life cycle and actually it's cut short. And really, whatever I do, I can't unpause from that point and see you grow up. And that's, like, the tragedy. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's kind of what I'm saying. I feel like creating a doll or an AF that reminds you exactly of your kid really prolongs the processing of that. because. Right. You don't have to deal with it. If you have an AF that looks, talks, and sounds just – I mean, you have to deal with it, but not as much as you do if that doll is gone. Um, but, yeah, I think the Sal thing is is very interesting. Do you think that that's what drove Paul and Chrissy apart? It seems like that was one thing, and then also Paul losing his job. It seems mm-hmm. like that drove him into this world of – It's interesting because I think like in principle, if you had told me like their two lives, I would have been like, yeah, like Paul's on to something like life is more than work. And maybe we can like find other utopian societies. But he seems like off the rails versus Chrissy, who's still working. Um, And I don't know. It's interesting the way that Kazu is dealing with that dichotomy between the two of them. Yeah, I like that neither option is painted as, like, the correct one. Like, Paul, in a lot of ways, in the beginning, I was like, well, he seems like he gets it. He's out of society. He's out of this crazy, creepy AF society. And he's, like, making it work and finding his larger purpose without, you know, slaving away at a job. But then you hear about his community and you're like, well, I mean, that doesn't sound great either. And Chrissy's like, yeah, I go to work every day to provide this life and – what she does isn't super healthy either. And there has to be like a balance between between those two. And I like that neither of them has found that balance yet. So you kind of have to imagine the in-between of, you know, Chrissy and Paul and what could be because neither of them have it figured out. But Paul left Chrissy. So I'm just thinking of like the difference between Paul and Helen because it doesn't seem that Helen works either. But Paul doesn't work and yet left Chrissy's house and seems to be like living in a separate society so I don't know if if Sal's death drove them apart but it seems like they have fundamental disagreements about the best way to live and to structure their life but obviously like Chrissy is providing like a stable environment for Josie 
whereas she doesn't go and stay with her dad. And of course, not of course, sorry, that was mean. But as soon as she needs him there, he's like late for the appointment and like causes drama and like doesn't have the um, stability for her. Yeah, I think so. I want to talk about their relationship with Josie a little bit, because I think a lot of this is centered around Josie, right? Like Josie is Josie. She is lifted. Are they creating this portrait? You know, like what's it going to be like when Josie's gone? And like, I don't think we really get a lot of clear pictures of what Josie wants. And it's interesting because she's so young. Like what choice does she have in what's happening to her life and and in what her life is? Doesn't seem like a lot, really. All right. Last section of Clara and the Sun. Here we go. Okay. Time for some announcements. First announcement, we have picked our next book, which is Of Women and Salt by Gabriela Garcia. Yeah. Is that correct? Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> just checking. <laughs> Yay, we can't wait to read it. We Yeah, we're both very excited for this one. Yeah, so this is the the uh short description. A daughter's fateful choice, a mother motivated by her own past, and a family legacy that begins in Cuba before either of them were born. So it's set in present day Miami with Jeanette, who's the daughter of Carmen, a Cuban immigrant, and her learning more about their family's history. So get your book. Um, we will put a link in our show notes to buy the book from bookshop.org, which we highly recommend. And yeah, we'll start. So this episode will come out next Sunday will be the fourth episode of Clara in the Sun, fourth and final episode. We'll have a special episode dropping the week after that. Then we'll start reading of women and salt. So get your copies from a local bookstore or from bookshop.org. Yay. We do have a special episode coming out the week between our last episode of Clara and the Sun and before we start of Women in Salt. Um, it's a special episode with the author. Do you want to tell us about it, Erica? <laughs> <laughs> so we are so, so, so delighted to have Tori Peters, the author of Detransition Baby, who will be recording a special episode to talk about this book. So I read Detransition Baby And immediately was like, this is my top book of 2021. I cannot recommend it enough. Katie read it in like 48 hours. (laughs) I still can't get over that. You're like, this is the book of 2021. And like, it's March. But I do. I loved it. Tori Peters is the author of the novellas Infect Your Friends and Loved Ones and The Masker, which are both available on her website. She has her MFA from the University of Iowa and an MA in Comparative Literature from Dartmouth. No big deal. She grew up in Chicago and she lives in Brooklyn and she drives a motorcycle and it's pink. (laughs) And I literally look for it every day on the streets of Brooklyn. I'm like, Tori, where are you? I can't wait for her to hear that creepy line. (laughs) She listens (laughs) to this episode. (laughs) Oops. Okay. Um, So I'm so excited. So we'll, that special episode, we'll talk about our reaction to Detransition Baby and a little bit about the book. And then we'll talk about the themes of the book. With Tori, I think you'll probably enjoy the conversation whether you've read the book or not, but I cannot recommend this book enough. This is a really important conversation to have, though, and I just want to say that even if you don't buy and read this book, you should still tune in um, and engage with and learn from the themes that come out of Detransition Baby, and you don't need to know the intricacies of this plot in order to be a part of that conversation. Okay, that was So that's our pitch. 
Okay, I hope you're all tuning in. That was really long. Oh, okay. <laughs> we also haven't had the conversation yet, but it's going to be good. Talk, talk. How's your week? <laughs> um, My week has been good. I read Milk Fed and I have so many thoughts about it. I will try and contain them into okay. one minute. Okay. All right. Ready, set, go. Okay. This book is about a like 20 something white woman in Los Angeles who's obsessed with her weight and like counts all of her calories and has an eating disorder and mommy issues. And she like falls into lust slash a relationship with Miriam, who's in a conservative Jewish household. And Miriam is eats whatever she wants she's on the heavier side and it's sort of like about this process of the main character like figuring out her relationship with her mom her relationship with food and blah 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 but it is like one of those books where like it was good but it was incredibly triggering I think for anyone who has like any body issues which to me is like almost every woman I know which is really really sad but then I'm like who was this book written for Because it's, like, horrific to read this woman and how she is, like, counting. She's basically binging and purging. And I just, like, I don't get. It's, like, a book for women about all of women's insecurities. And then they're, like, well, she figured it out. And then it moves on. And I'm, like, wait, wait, what? (laughs) It reminds me in the worst way of Stray where you're reading about this book where she's not doing well. And you're, like, okay, this is, like. It's not enjoyable to read. It feels like triggering if you have anything that relates to her life. And then by the end, she's like, well, now I'm happy and married and rich and I have two kids. So you can too. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, Yeah. I just, yeah. Anyways, it was not, not good. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say. It was intriguing. I think it was just personally very triggering. I'm not like an obsessive calorie counter. I definitely like eat very strangely which I have weird feelings about. I don't know. I have a lot of unresolved questions about this book and I was just not in a place to receive it. That's what I'm... So I read it as fast as possible. I was like, get me out of this person's head. I Wait, don't need not to be here. That. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm reading The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue right now and it's good. But like, I feel like I've read three books in a row that are not book talk books that are over 450 pages. <laughs> I am just like, yikes. Um, I'm loving it so far. It's finally getting good. What I will say as my first hot take review of this book is that it took 200 pages for it to get good, to get to the point where I was like, I can't put this down. 200 pages? Well, that is a novel. That is a novel. And now she meets Henry on like page 200 and it's getting good. And like, we're learning about all of that. So we will do a special episode on this book as well. But I am just like, why did it take me 200 pages to get here? We could have, we really could have done it in 30 and this book could be 270 pages and I think maybe it will be better. (laughs) But we'll see. I'm not done yet, but that's my, it's my current hot take. Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney. With production support from Dan White, our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. I'm still...
confused, I guess, about what happened to Saul. Um, and I don't think we Sal? know. So Sal, I'm calling her Saul like Paul. Oh no, I'd say Sal. <laughs> Sal? I'd say Sal. <laughs> um, I don't think they named her Saul after Paul. <laughs> Just be yeah. <laughs> Poor choice. 